Here, here's what I'm going to do. We're going we're gonna to be looking at the Gospel of John tonight. We're going to be looking at John chapter 3. It's one of my favorite passages. Um, I'm, I'm very excited, happy that I get to, to preach for you all tonight. This is a passage I go to often. I think it's so helpful because it's so simple and so clear. John chapter 3. But the question to begin is, uh, is fill in this blank. Your life would be happier if you had blank. Now think about that question for a little bit. Your life would be happier if you had blank. Let's, let's answer that question. How do you think like a non-religious, non-Christian outside of church, how do you think a non-churched person would answer that question? What do we think? Uh, you know, stew on it for a second, then we'll do something. Someone who's like, man, I don't really go to church. You just go out to the world. You ask someone on the streets, my life would be happier if I had blank. How would you answer that? Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Mark, Bar, Marco Bartholomew, may? He works in the seminary building. Is that who you mentioned? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. What do you say? Yeah. Okay. Money or fame. If I had some more cash or some more uh, followers, would be good. What do you say? If I had my driver's license, I'd be... That's true. You guys should all get it at 16. Don't wait another day. Yeah. What's up? If I had the newest phone, okay, yeah. If I had more friends, okay, got that. All right, now, now let's do it like this. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank for you. For you. Your life would be happier if you had more blank. Are you going to see more friends again? Hopefully that would be bad. Okay, good, yeah. What's that? An art tablet. Yeah. I trust you. I like that. That's good. Okay, what else? Well, you're already calling you. I need new hands. New hands. Have I already called you? Once you have? More books. Like to write in or to, to read? or All right, that's good. Uh, the Mirage Factory, the history of LA. You'll enjoy it. Okay, uh, what was your... You had a hand up? Did you have a hand up? No? Okay, that's good. Uh, what do you say? If you had more what? If you had a phone that actually works. That's good. That's a good answer. That's always helpful. Okay, now, let me ask you this. What what would you say is like supposed to be when when I say the phrase the Christian answer you you all have an understanding of like what the Christian answer is supposed to be uh, you're like okay I kind of know it but but what, what's the Christian answer for that question your life would be happier if you had blank how would you answer yeah I haven't called on you yet what is it okay I was born again okay that's kind of the Christian answer what do you say back there wisdom okay I haven't called on you yet what do you say. You were also going to say wisdom. That's good. Okay. If I had wisdom, born again, no, I need new hands, new hands. Uh, anyone else? What's like the Christian, the Christianese answer? You haven't called on you yet. Go ahead. What is it? If I had the word. Okay. Yeah. Salvation. Okay. So let me ask you guys that, this question. Do you believe that? And you don't have to answer that one out loud. But like, we are taught that if we had those things, the Christian life is not just the right choice, it's the better choice. Do you actually believe that? It's a legit question to ask, especially I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you, maybe not all of you, I'm assuming a large amount of you have grown up in church. You say, I know the answer is I'm happier if I have all these Christian things, but do I really believe it if I had to answer for myself? It's a good question to wrestle with. It's part of why I love our passage tonight. I love this passage. Um, if your siblings have been in high school ministry, they've heard me teach on this one before. I love it for two reasons. 
One, I think tonight's passage, John chapter 3, we'll look at verses 22 to 30. I think tonight's passage is really helpful in explaining just what like basic Christianity is. So if you're someone that um, is trying to explain Christianity to someone, or if you're someone who's trying to, to uh, if you're here and you're like, what is Christianity? I'm still new to this. Or if you're someone who's trying to figure out, am I actually a Christian? I think tonight's passage is helpful because it's really simple. It's really straightforward on this is like, if you want to, you know, break, break down the Christian life into simple terms, this is what it looks like to be a, a Christian. But the other reason is I think this passage helps us figure out where, the true so, where a true source of joy comes from, where real happiness, real satisfaction comes from. So tonight we're going to look at, th- I'm going to talk about three things with you. I'm going to talk about living for self, and then I'm going to talk about living for Jesus, and then I'm going to talk about why Jesus is better. So those three things, it's really simple, and that's a complex, that's why I went to seminary, so I could say three complex things like living for self, living for Jesus, and why Jesus is better. But that's what we're going to see in this passage. First one, if you're a note taker, that's what, number one is this, living for self. Let's dive into this story that I have for you. This is a story about a man named John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, who uh, had a ministry of baptizing. And we see that in verse 23. And John also was baptizing in, I know, near Salim, because there was much water there. It's a good idea. It's always a good place to baptize. if You've got to have at least some water there. And people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. If you read the Gospels, you're familiar with John the Baptist. Again, he's Jesus' cousin. He's, he's baptizing people who are recognizing something's wrong with the Jewish religion, and his ministry is immensely popular. Like John's a big deal. He, he would have been one of the biggest celebrities at his time, because this is at a time where people aren't going on the gram to look at half-talented people who are helped by technology. Uh, he actually had skills, and, uh, and people would have wanted to come and say, in fact, it says, elsewhere, i make sure I have this right, it says in Mark chapter 1 that all of Judea and Jerusalem, that's the whole region there, coming to him. So that's kind of like all of L.A. counties coming to check out this guy, this guy that's preaching. Um, even Herod, who's the ruler at the time, liked listening to him. In fact, John is so popular, people would have thought, according to Luke 3, that he was the Messiah, that he actually was like the Savior sent from God. Anyway, that's John's ministry, and he has some disciples, he has some followers, and let's look at this problem here, verse 25. There arose a debate between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So there's this debate, and that word there, debate, it's the idea of, again, it's, it's an argument, there's a, there's a strong discussion happening. Here's what it is. The Jew there is, it's a Pharisee. It's a ruler of the Jews. And they're having a conversation because baptism would have meant, if I'm getting baptized, something's wrong with the Jewish religion. I, I need something other than just Judaism. And so there's some sort of debate that happens between them. And we don't know exactly what's said, but we see, we see the fallout from it. Let's look at this. After this debate, the disciples of John come to him, And said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. So what is this? He who was with you beyond the Jordan, who is that? That's that's Jesus. Disciples of John come to John and say, Teacher, Jesus, who you're talking about, 
Um, he's also baptizing and everyone's coming to him. Okay, what happened here? Let, let's put the pieces together. There was some debate between the disciples of John and one of the Jewish religious leaders. And we don't know what was said. They're going toe-to-toe. They don't need to be baptized. They're Jews. Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, and they're going back. And at some point, the Jewish guy probably says something like, you know what, you guys just keep doing your little baptism game because from what I hear, you probably got a couple weeks left in business anyway. Yeah, did you you guys know that, that Jesus, the guy you're talking about, yeah, he's baptizing now, so... Glad you guys had your moment. Sounds like your, your business is running out. Do you, do, you get, do you understand that? That's what's happening here. They then come back to John and say, Jesus is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Do you see what's happening? They are worried about, a, I'll, I'll use a, uh, a big word here. They are worried about occupational obsolescence. What that means is their job is not going to exist anymore. What does that mean? How many of you have been to the blacksmith this week? Anyone go to a blacksmith this week to get their, you know, their horse's hooves fixed or anything like that? Or anyone? Hey, by the way, um, milk. Did you get, did the milkman stop by your house this week at all? No? No, I didn't think so. Why? Here's my favorite one. Um, I think I have a picture of this one. Anybody, uh, anyone go to Blockbuster Video this week? You know, anyone check that out at all? You know, rent some videos so you can pop it in the VCR. Do any of you know what Blockbuster is? Who has no idea what this is? Who's been to a Blockbuster video? I don't, you are so young now. I, I should have said something like, who saw the fidget spinner salesman this week, right? And the answer is nobody, right? Because it's done. The, the point is, we take that down now. The point is this. There are certain jobs that run out. And when the job runs out, uh, you know, it's, it's over. I made a joke earlier. Uh, about a book that I read, History of Los Angeles. 1927, uh, something like 95% of the movies were silent films. And all the silent film movie stars go to the Academy Awards that year and they watch one of the first talkies, is what they called it. One of the first movies with sound. And how did all the actors respond? Petrified. Because they knew that their time was done. And, as, and what you find is these people who were so famous for... 10 years as the movie industry was just starting, completely disappear. Why? Because they couldn't adjust. Okay, that's what's happening right here in this passage. That's what the disciples are worried about. They're worried about them because their prominence, their reputation, their ease, their pathway to success, the, the life that they had built up suddenly looks like it's about to fall apart and they're panicked. That's why they say, Everyone's coming to him. They have the same fear that each of us would have in this kind of situation. Same fear we would have when we think our happiness is about us. It's about us getting what we want. I'd be curious if you think that your happiness is about you getting what you want. Do you you sound like Robert II? Robert II is a motivational speaker, he said this. He said, respect yourself enough to, uh, to walk away from anything that no longer serves you, grows you, or makes you happy. Is that true? Is that how we're supposed to live? Because that's how the disciples of John are reacting in this moment. They're leaving because they're personally attacked. Their plans are uh, going on a detour here. Student, I would just ask, is life about 
you? Is every day the decisions you make, how you decide it was a good day or a bad day, based on you and your preferences? When you go to school, when you're at home and the way you interact with your parents, is it about you? Is there drama in your life? Is there conflict between friends where you guys can't get over, no one can forgive one another because really at the end of the day, you just can't get over the fact that, well, they had the audacity to talk bad about me and I'm pretty awesome. So how could they do such a thing? Here are just a few questions again. Uh, just to measure, like, is life about you? Think about your conversations. How often when you're in a group talking with people, are you the one asking questions and letting others dictate what you talk about? Or are you always steering things back to the thing you want to talk about? Think about how much you're willing to help others out versus how much you're steadfast on getting whatever sort of entertainment uh, you want to have. Again, I, I don't think there's a, a total measuring stick. Oh, it's this much percentage interest in others, this much you. I just, do you have a life that's about you? Is it focused on you? That would be a good question maybe to ask in small group is, how do I know if I'm just living for me and what I want and not something above? By the way, I, I don't think um, living for you means uh, you know living non-religious. You can be religious and be living for yourself. I'll, I'll read this verse for you, Matthew 6.1. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That's a good question. Am, am I only doing church things when people are watching? Then who are you really serving? The Lord or looking for applause for yourself? What we see here in John 3 is they're living for themselves. They're focused on their reputation. Let's, let's move to point two then. Let's talk about living for Jesus. And I think what we're going to see here from John is not only what makes John the Baptist such a stud. Jesus says there's no one who's been born greater than John. But what you see here from John is sort of a, a model for us to walk in. And what you could do tonight is you could jot down verses 27 to 30 and just on your own in group, you could just ask, can I sit, talk the same way John talks? Do I have the heart of a disciple of Jesus? Because here's John's response. How does he begin? Verse 27, John chapter 3. says, John answered them and said, Well, first, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John says, Do you realize any good thing I have has come from above? There's no prominence, no status, no skill that is a direct result or an ultimate result of my efforts. It's all from him. Friends, you, we live in a world that's about being self-made. There's no such thing as a self-made Christian. Every good thing we have, every skill or gift or talent comes from the Lord. Every opportunity comes from God. So John says he doesn't take credit. Instead, John knows his role. Look at verse 28. He says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He, he says, my role was not to be the main actor. I'm a supporting actor at best. I'm here to get things ready for Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And then he gives this illustration. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. What John does is he uses the illustration of a wedding. How many of you like weddings? 
Who likes weddings? Girls like weddings for different reasons than guys like weddings. Girls, what do you like about weddings? I'm sure you like, how many of you love seeing the flowers and the decor and the venue and you want to see the dress and the music and not just the bride's dress, but the, the way that the, the, the bridesmaids' dresses all coordinate. And yeah, you know, they're different, but they're all kind of the same shade of that color, right? It's, it's really pretty. Dudes, who likes cake? Yeah. yeah, cake, right? We love cake. It's awesome. We're about cake. It's, it's for it. So you know what? Uh, <laughs> you know what you never say? On the way home from a wedding, if the wedding went well, if the wedding went well, you typically never go on that car ride home. You never talk and go, wow, that best man was a stud. The coolest part of the wedding was the best man. Man, I mean, did you see him dressed exactly the same as the other guy? So that way if he got (laughs) sick, the other one could just fill in last minute and... Man, do you see the way they had the, the child bring the ring up instead of him because he was more responsible? Man, that best man was, was incredible, right? That's not the goal. In fact, usually if you're talking about the best man on the way home from a wedding, it's because he, well, he did a seven-minute speech about himself instead of the bride and groom. And, and that's the point. A good best man is supposed to disappear so that the groom and the bride look good. Okay, John says, it's, it, let's look at it again now with that illustration in mind. He says... He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Jesus being the groom, bride being his people that would go to follow him. The friend of the bridegroom, that's how John sees himself as a best man, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Now in those days, the best man actually would have like done something, like planned the wedding. Ladies, could you imagine that? The guy you marry, his best friend planning the wedding. Terrible idea for today. But back then, it was how it worked. And... It wasn't for himself. It was to make them, especially the groom, look good. That's what the Christian life looks like. And and John summarizes it in a sentence. Look at verse 30. Here it is. If you're like, I want that, that one sentence summary of the Christian life, here it is. He must increase, but I must decrease. John is saying, here's... Disciples, hear my heart. My goal is that I would become less so that Christ would become more. Life for the Christian is about Jesus. It's about every single day waking up and saying, Lord, this is about you, not about me. This is about what you want, not about what I want. As I go to church on Wednesday night and listen to sermons, it's about, Lord, what you want, not about what I want. As I get a phone, play video games, interact with friends, it's about what you want and not about what I want. As I get older and then start thinking about college and marriage, all of life is more about him and less about you. That's, that's John's heart here. And, and you might be thinking, well, Yeah, but that's John the Baptist. I'm just a junior higher living in 2022. I want you to see, this isn't just an example from John. These are actually the expectations of Jesus. So I have a few verses up here for you. Take a look at the first one, Luke 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You want to follow Jesus? Deny yourself. You might say, this sounds like a crazy person, but yes, Christians talk to themselves. And what they do every day is there's a self that is denied. I'm not listening to you because life is not about you. It's about Christ. We could skip ahead to one of them. Uh, Two ahead is Philippians 1, 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation and hope, this is Paul talking, so not just Jesus, but the Apostle Paul, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know that word there, exalted? It's to elevate. It's the picture I think, um, how many of you have ever given your friend a boost before? You know what that is? Like you're, you're, you know, you're like, okay, we're junior hires. We can't hop this fence. So what I'll do is I'll get down on my hands and knees and you can stand on my back so it lifts you up so you can get over. Okay, that's the Christian life. You lower yourself so that Christ would be made much of. That is, student, you got to hear this if you're nothing else. That is normal Christianity. That's not on fire Christianity. That's not like super, super mature Christianity. That's not varsity Christianity while we settle for JV. That's Christianity. You die to self and you live for Jesus, not just because it's right, because it'll actually make you, you ready for this? Happy. Did you see what John said in verse 29? The end, he, you know, the, the friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. Student, do you know why some of you battle with like sadness and being down and frustrated all the time? It's because living for yourself will always disappoint. You're never going to be satisfied living for self because you weren't meant to live for you. You were meant to live for Jesus. I'm going to keep moving. This will take us to our third point. The, the third point I'm calling Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Some of you are saying, Josh, that sounds really good, but prove it. Prove it to me because everything inside of me, everything in the culture around me says like, you know, live for you. Live to satisfy your desires, your pleasures, your dreams. If it feels right to you, do it. And that's the path to happiness. So how do I know? It's because if you look at the person of who Jesus is, you see there's nobody like him. You see he's so much better than you, better than anything else you could live for. And you find, well, this is really the person I was meant to find satisfaction in. And just look, verses 31 to 36 I mean, these are some intense statements about Jesus, and, and we could spend an hour talking about these. I mean, these are so great. But I think they just kind of in one shot show us, man, this Jesus is so much better to live for. So just look at it. Here's who Jesus is. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth, but he who comes from heaven is above all. You start here, seeing here that Jesus is eternal, and he's supreme. He's from a better place than us. You know, we, we sometimes like to act like we're from a better place. You know, how many of you live in Santa Clarita? SCV peeps? Okay. And then you go out of town across the country to like your cousins in Florida or something. 
And they say, where do you live and where do you say? You don't say Santa Clarita, where do you say? We're from Los Angeles, right? You, you throw that in there, right? I grew up in Murrieta. I, I, I'm from San Diego. You know, you just kind of fit, fit that in there, right? Because we, we, we know that someone is somehow more prominent if they're from a better place. Okay, Jesus is from a better place. In fact, he's always existed in heaven. He's from above and has always been there. Uh, had fellowship with God in eternity past because there never was a time when Jesus did not exist. Man, would it be better to find your hope and satisfaction in a person that came into existence sometime between the year 2000 and the year 2008, or better to find your hope in a person who never did not exist? That's awesome. Here's why else. Jesus is trustworthy. It says what he has seen, verse 32... Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, verse 31, verse 32. What he has seen and heard, of that he bears witness, and no one receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. You know this saying about Jesus? Do you know why you can trust him? Right? Every other friend who has a truth claim, they're either getting their truth claim from their own feelings, I feel this is true, or they're borrowing their truth claim. Someone else told me this is true. But the things that Jesus speaks, you can trust him because he has eyewitness accounts of it. He's from heaven. He, know, right, he testifies of what he has seen and heard. Right? He, he, he speaks on behalf of God. In fact, verse 34 says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. He gives the spirit without measure. God in the Old Testament would put his spirit upon those who are his prophets who'd speak for him. Well, Jesus, when you read the Gospels, realize he has the spirit in a way that's so beyond the prophets of the Old Testament to testify that he's true. So, so how do I know that if I repent and believe, my sins will be forgiven? Answer, well, Jesus said it. And so I could trust him because, because he's true. And his promises don't lie. He's from eternity. He gets his truth from above. He is totally trustworthy. Friend, you can't even trust yourself. Some of you have made reading plans or, you know, I don't know if you're high schoolers at some of you. Maybe you're not the boy you're reading. Like maybe some eating plans. Uh, you've made some like, no, I'm going to wake up early, read my Bible. You look at it and you go, man, promises I make even to myself don't come true. But nothing Jesus says comes untrue. I should live for him rather than me. I don't even know if the opinions I hold today are still going to be around tomorrow. In fact, I know they won't be around. If all my friends change their opinion, I'll probably change mine too. So why don't I trust in someone whose opinions never change and who's totally trustworthy? Here's the, here's the next thing about Jesus. You, you see, Jesus reigns. So you have no control over your life. None of you planned, like, you know, it'd be nice, a two-year pandemic. We could all hang out in our houses. None of you had control over that. But verse 35 says that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. That God, in his delight, has elevated Jesus as ruler over this universe. That, that all things exist, according to Colossians, through him, all things exist for him, everything holds together by Jesus. So again, do we trust this one who controls everything, or do we trust ourselves, who we find time and time again there's very little we can control? Where do we find our purpose, living for us or living for him? Finally, the last thing we see, Jesus is better because Jesus saves. 
He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That is good news. Junior higher, I'll explain this to you because, because some of your high school friends show up and they're not quite sure what the word believe means. And, and so I'll help you. That way you guys can come up to high school already know it. Believe is the idea of trust. It's the idea of clinging. I'm clinging to Jesus, not as my helper, but to rescue me. I'm grabbing onto him with my whole life and trusting my life to him because I know I'm lost and I need him to rescue me. I don't need him to help me. I need him to deliver me because I'm foul and I'm sinful and I cannot save myself. And it says that whoever believes on him, who who entrusts their life to him in faith, you ready? Has eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Like, there's no way you could say, I want to trust in Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, sorry, we only have limited space. Right? Any who comes to me, he says in John, I will certainly not cast out. Isn't that awesome? That Christ would take any sinner from, from like pagan unchurched sinners to like show up every week and disregard him sinners. Any who trust in him can be forgiven of their sins. That's incredible. That's amazing. There's also in this text a warning. There's the kindness and the severity of Jesus because he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I think it's interesting. Like, liking Josh Petrus has nothing to do with your eternity. Like, there could be people who like me who don't end up in heaven. There could be people who don't like me that, you know, they'll be changed and they'll like me and it's up in heaven. But Jesus is so supreme that he's this dividing line. Like you can't, be, you can't be wrong on Jesus and get into heaven. right? If, if you're against him, if you don't embrace him in, in, a, in this sort of way where it's about him and not about me, it says the wrath of God abides on you. Some of you tonight don't need to repent of lack of knowledge or lack of attendance. You just need to repent of living for yourself and not living for Christ. Jesus didn't exist to be your life coach or kind of like a Marvel hero you reference now and then. He came to be your life, and you receive life by trusting him. So live for Christ. Make life about him, not about yourself. How do you do that? Well, by looking at who Jesus is. Uh, By going to the word every day, And not just reminding yourself that Jesus is the right choice, but Jesus is the better choice. I've told this story before. Uh, The sirens in Greek mythology are these like mermaid-like creatures that sing beautifully. And sailors hear it and they're like, oh, that's awesome. And they go over there and they crash and die. And the sirens, you know, kill them. And there's two ways to kind of like get past the sirens. So one of them is Odysseus. He has all his sailors plug their ears, tie them, because he wants to hear it, but he doesn't want to steer the ship that way. So you could block it out. The other way is there's this story of Jason and the Argonauts. And when they know the sirens are coming, there's a guy named Orpheus who plays his harp. And he plays the harp more beautifully than the sound of the sirens. So that way they don't chase after them. Do you know why you read your Bible every day? 
Because you're not going to live for self, or sorry, you're not going to live for Jesus instead of self by just blocking it out. It's by seeing Jesus, seeing him in his kindness, in his compassion, his authority, and yet his intimacy and nearness with sinners, and saying, this Jesus is so much better than anything else, even me. He must increase. I must decrease. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your son. Oh, Lord, he is so good to us. And you are so good to us in sending him to die for our sins, having him be our king. Lord, help us to get our eyes off self. So many of the problems in our life, arguments that we have, have to do with us loving us. Lord, our sin has to do with us loving us. Help us to care less about ourselves, our reputation, our pleasure, and, about, and to care more about your son because he is worthy. I pray as they go to small groups now, students would be open and thoughtful about what we talked about. Uh, and ultimately, Lord, that they would want to love you and follow you as a result of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.